The following program is a recording of a live broadcast transmitted 7 a.m. Beijing time. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you by China Radio International. Paul James with you on this Friday, June twenty first, two thousand nineteen. Welcome to the Beijing Hour, coming to you live from the Chinese capital. Coming up on our program this morning, our news focus: Chinese President Xi Jinping meeting with Kim Jong Un as part of his current trip to North Korea. Other news: Chinese commerce officials blasting the U.S. for trade bullying as the two sides agree to resume trade talks. White House inviting leading congressional officials to discuss a response to Iran shooting down a U.S. drone. Business new stats showing China becoming the world's second largest bond market. Sports China now practicing for a Tuesday matchup against Italy at the Women's World Football Cup. Entertainment Chinese folk music to be featured at a show in L.A. First, your headline news: Chinese Premier Li Keqiang telling a group of global business leaders that China remains committed to reform and opening up, as well as building a law-based and international business environment. Meeting participants at a roundtable summit of the Global CEO Council, Li Keqiang says that all companies registered here in China are to be treated equally, with their legitimate rights and interests, including intellectual property, fully protected. He also says the Chinese government wants foreign companies to expand their investments in China, suggesting the country will gradually open up the service sector to foreign investors as part of the next steps in opening up. Thursday's discussions also touching upon cooperation in areas such as finance, the digital economy, the 5G sector, and the Belt and Road Initiative. Former Chinese Vice Minister of Public Security Meng Hongwei pleading guilty to accepting bribes worth some 15 million yuan. Ex-president of Interpol standing trial on Thursday. He's pled guilty to taking advantage of his position to get others' jobs and promotions in return for bribes. In announcing the decision, the court saying that Meng Hongwei has shown repentance during his hearing is sentenced to be announced at a later date. The European Union listing its priorities for the coming five years in a new strategic agenda. According to it, the bloc's major efforts through 2024 will be to protect citizens and freedoms, as well as develop a strong economic base. Priorities will also include building a green, fair, and social Europe, while attempting to promote Europe's influence worldwide. The agenda being released at the ongoing summer gathering of European leaders in Brussels. Another major task at the session to name a new president of the European Commission, which is the administrative arm of the Union. Kenya's High Court, due to hand down sentences for the three Garissa University attackers on July 3rd, after finding them guilty of committing a terrorist act. Three attackers, all being found guilty of conspiracy to kill, connected to the attack which occurred in 2015, which left 148 people, mostly students, dead. The three members of the Somali-based Al Shabaab militant group, a fourth suspect, acquitted of charges after the prosecution failed to provide enough evidence linking him to the attack. News focus of the day: the top leaders of China and North Korea sitting down in Pyongyang to chart out bilateral relations as well as how to settle the nuclear issue on the Korean Peninsula. We get more from CRI's Xie Tiang. The meeting is the fifth between Xi Jinping and Kim Jong Un since last year. Both of them have agreed to create a bright future of inter-party and inter-state relations at a new starting point in history. Xi Jinping has told Kim Jong Un that it is a steadfast policy of China to maintain, consolidate, and develop its relationship with North Korea. 
He also called on the two sides to strengthen high-level contacts and deepen strategic communication in the face of the profound and complex changes on the global and regional landscapes. He's also proposed expanded cooperation in areas such as education, health, sports, media, and youth, as well as at local levels. Reaffirming commitment to carrying out North Korea's new strategic line, Kim Jong Un says his country is willing to learn more from China's experience and endeavor to develop the economy. On the Korean Peninsula nuclear issue, Xi Jinping called on Pyongyang and Washington to keep talking. He's reaffirmed China's support in finding ways to reach a political settlement, saying China is willing to help build up the conditions needed to find a solution. Speaking highly of Pyongyang's efforts in the process, Xi Jinping says China is ready to help North Korea address its legitimate security and development concerns and play a positive and constructive role in achieving complete denuclearization. For his part, Kim Jong Un says North Korea going to remain patient, saying his side wants to find solutions that can accommodate everyone's legitimate concerns. He also says this can be won through the existing dialogue process. He also says North Korea will continue to strengthen communication and coordination with China as they push to find a political settlement to the issue. Xi Jinping is the first Chinese head of state to visit North Korea in 14 years. Ahead of Thursday's meeting, more than 250,000 residents in Pyongyang turned out on the streets to welcome the Chinese leader. For CRI, this is Xie Cheng. Now, following their meeting, North Korean leader Kim Jong Un holding a welcoming banquet for Xi Jinping. Both leaders using the setting to hail the traditional friendship between the two countries, pledging to turn a new page in the bilateral relationship. Xi Jinping's two-day visit to North Korea starting yesterday. During his time in Pyongyang on Thursday, Xi Jinping also making a stop at the headquarters of the Workers' Party of Korea, also becoming the first foreign leader to be honored with a salute at the square of the Kumsumant Palace of the Sun, the mausoleum for late North Korean leaders. Now, for more on Xi Jinping's time in North Korea, CRI's Su Yi speaking earlier with our political analyst Xu Jindo. So, you know, in general, how significant is the state visit by the Chinese president to Pyongyang this time? Uh, well, bilaterally, a state visit itself is uh, significant. Uh, usually, you know, with a state visit,、uh, it means a new chapter or opening a new type of relationship or, or further strengthening of a bilateral ties. And of course, when it comes to China and、uh, North Korea, this is the first state visit、uh, by a Chinese national leader in 14 years. So that's uh, uh, something obviously for bilateral ties. It is also a result of,、uh, I would say, in. Intensified work over the past year,、uh, about a twelve month, fifteen month of the past.、Um, in particular, the、uh, leader from North Korea, I mean Kim Jong Un, you know, visited China for four times、uh, in preparation or before, after、uh, the meeting uh, or. In preparing to meet、uh, the U.S. leader、uh, Donald Trump, so to kickstart the、uh, um, you know the peace process, basically to get rid of the nuclear weapons、uh, in exchange for the lifting of sanctions, etc.、Uh, so China has played a very important role. So this is on a third level. You can see that is multilateral,、uh, not only between China and North Korea, but also on a larger platform that is the Korean Peninsula or Northeast Asia. 
peace and stability. Uh, so China uh, is uh, a very important. China is playing a unique role in encouraging uh, the North Korean side to take a bold step to start the negotiation process with uh, the U.S. side, and uh, you know uh, that has、uh, succeeded in two summits. So, talking about the peninsula situation,、uh, Russia and China this week delayed a U.S. request for a UN Security Council sanctions committee to demand a halt to deliveries of refined petroleum to North Korea. It's believed North Korea's slipping international trade, including the trade between Beijing and Pyongyang, has also illustrated the negative impact of the current deadlock. So, what would be on the agenda for regional countries like China and South Korea, like、uh, over assistance to North Korea?、Uh, yes, the larger background, of course, is、uh, the UN sanctions on North Korea. And of course,、uh, we know since February, the Hanoi summit between Trump and Kim,、uh, basically that summit ended in、um, unexpectedly,、uh, without much uh, uh, achievement in the sense. So since then, the efforts has been、uh, running out of steam, let's say.、Uh, so that's、uh, a. Probably part of the reason why President Xi Jinping is in North Korea to help,、uh, let's say, re-kickstart the process. And at the same time, I think China, Russia, and South Korea basically think that North Korea has made some concessions by exercising high degree of restraint not to launch any nuclear missile test of the past year. So in that sense, you know, UN sanctions should be relieved to some degree,、uh, in as a you know part of the reciprocity, let's say.、Uh, but the U.S. is playing this maximum、uh, pressure、uh, in the policy towards North Korea.、Uh, they want to keep uh, uh, the pressure、uh, increasing or. To maximum point of view,、uh, so in the UN, this is not the first time they raised such a, a issue. Last year, they also had such an initiative, but it was rejected by China and Russia. This year again,、uh, the raised issue,、uh, but part of the you know is technical issue.、Uh, under the UN sanction, there is a limit, there is a cap of how many、uh, fuel、uh, delivery North Korea can receive. That's legally. Our political analyst Xu Chindo speaking with CRI's Sui. For breaking news and stories that matter to you, find us on Twitter by searching for China Plus News, where we'll share with you our up-to-the-minute news, in-depth analysis, and live streaming videos. Visit China Plus News for your window on China and the world. Eleven minutes past the hour. China's Commerce Ministry announcing that Chinese and U.S. trade negotiators expected to resume communication comes ahead of an expected meeting between Xi Jinping and Donald Trump at the G20 summit next week. Commerce Ministry spokesperson Gao Feng. The negotiation teams of both sides will earnestly follow the instructions of the two heads of state and make good preparations for the meeting between the two leaders at the G20 summit in Osaka. Gao Feng saying that he's optimistic the two sides should be able to reach an agreement once trade talks resume. As the world's two largest economies, the economic structures of China and the U.S. are mutually complementary and closely linked. Both sides share broad common interests. We believe that by taking care of each other's legitimate concerns through dialogue on an equal footing. The two sides can surely find a proper solution to their problems. 
Xi Jinping and U.S. President Donald Trump both expressing a willingness to meet at the G20 summit in Japan next week as part of a phone conversation the two had just a couple of days earlier. Meantime, China's Ministry of Commerce calling out the United States, saying that it needs to stop taking unilateral measures against China to avoid bigger losses to its own economy and people's well-being. Ministry spokesperson Gao Feng suggesting the U.S. is engaged in trade bullying and purposely trying to ramp up trade frictions. China always holds that cooperation on the basis of equal footing and mutual respect is the only right choice for both China and the U.S., The problem cannot be solved with a trade war and unceasing tariff imposing. Hope the U.S. side to listen more to the voice of its own industries, abandon the wrongdoing, and solve the existing problem through equal-footed dialogue and cooperation. This serves the interests of the two peoples and the interests of the world. U.S. side holding public hearings this week on whether to add additional tariffs on some 300 billion U.S. dollars worth of Chinese goods. Hearings receiving over 1,500 comments so far from major U.S. companies, most of which have expressed opposition to the plan. Chinese government expressing firm opposition to U.S. senators' proposed legislation, which would target Chinese companies. Florida Senator Marco Rubio submitting a bill to Congress to ban Huawei and other companies on a government watch list from filing patent lawsuits. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesperson Liu Kang. We resolutely oppose the wrong actions of the United States of using state power to suppress Chinese enterprises. We also urge the U.S. to stop these wrongdoings and treat Chinese companies fairly, to provide fair conditions for trade and cooperation between Chinese and American companies. I would like to reiterate here that China will continue to take necessary measures to firmly safeguard the legitimate rights and interests of Chinese enterprises. The Chinese side saying that Rubio's proposed legislation would hinder foreign businesses in protecting their legitimate rights, saying the proposed legislation would not only taint the United States' reputation but also hurt its companies in the long run. Japanese economists suggesting that it's incorrect for the United States to try to solve its trade imbalances with other countries through protectionism and tariffs. Professor Sujio Urato with the Graduate School of Asia-Pacific Studies at Waseda University. The so-called bilateralism in trade policies that Donald Trump embraces is actually hegemony. What all countries need is a trading system based on rules and regulations. Sticking to trade protectionism may drive the world economy into collapse. We hope that Prime Minister Shinzo Abe can explain that to Trump in details during the G20 summit. Urata arguing that the trade imbalance should be solved through coordinated macroeconomic policies, as well as reforms in the United States' own economic structure. He also says that he expects China-U.S. trade tensions to be one of the major topics to be discussed at the upcoming G20 summit in Japan. U.S.-China trade dispute is not just an economic and trade issue. It also involves various other factors. If the trade tensions continue to last, it will definitely impact the world economy significantly. We hope that both the two sides can step back and avoid the escalation of trade frictions. This year's G20 summit due to be held next week in Osaka. Observers say a number of key issues will be discussed during that summit, including building a free and fair trading system, the digital economy, and how to solve the environmental issues through scientific uh, innovation. The White House gathering senior congressional leaders as well as Pentagon officials following the downing of a U.S. Navy drone by Iran. It's believed the Trump administration discussing its response plans. 
Speaking with reporters ahead of the high-level briefing, Donald Trump suggesting that the shootdown of the drone, which the U.S. claims was not in Iranian airspace, may not have been sanctioned by Tehran. I don't know. I, I find it hard to believe it was intentional, if you want to know the truth. I think that it could have been somebody who was uh, loose and stupid that did it. But we'll be able to report back, and you'll understand exactly what happened. But it was a very foolish move. That I can tell you. At the same time, though, Donald Trump remaining coy about what response the U.S. side might bring. You'll find out. You'll find out. I mean, obviously, 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 you know, we're not going to be talking too much about it. You're going to find out they made a very big mistake. The U.S. drone shot down on Thursday near the Strait of Hormuz. The Iranian side says the unmanned aircraft violated Iranian airspace. The U.S. side denying that, though, saying that the drone was well into international airspace when the Iranian side launched a surface-to-air missile. The attack comes amid heightened tensions between Iran and the U.S. over Tehran's collapsing nuclear deal with world powers. Russian President Vladimir Putin saying that he's open for a meeting with U.S. President Donald Trump. Russian leader making the revelation while taking part in one of his trademark live call-in shows on Russian television. If the American side shows interest in that, we're ready for a dialogue as much as our partners are, especially as we have enough topics to discuss, such as international security or disarmament. Considering that the New START treaty expires shortly, we have to talk in order to normalize our bilateral relations in all the fields, including economy. Putin also using the live call-in show to warn the United States about the possibility of an armed conflict with Iran. The U.S. declare that they do not exclude the use of weapons. I should warn that it would be a catastrophe for region as a minimum because it would provoke the violence and boost the number of refugees coming from the region. Trump has said publicly that he would like to meet with Vladimir Putin on the sidelines of next week's G20 summit in Japan. However, the Kremlin saying that the White House has not yet formally requested that meeting. Well, either former UK Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson or current UK Foreign Secretary Jeremy Hunt are going to be the UK's next Prime Minister, with that decision now firmly in the hands of some 160,000 UK Conservative Party members. Our UK correspondent, Natalie Powell, with more. After several rounds of voting by British Conservative MPs, we now know that Boris Johnson and Jeremy Hunt will go head-to-head in a runoff for the job of party leader and, ultimately, Prime Minister. For whoever wins, though, their number one challenge will be Brexit, as Daniel Zeelander from the Centre for Policy Studies explains. It's been the biggest policy issue that we've had really since World War II. But equally, going forward, part of making Brexit a success is actually looking at what happens after Brexit. It's not just leaving on the 31st of October. It's actually going to be, how do we make a success of leaving? The new Prime Minister is likely to face many of the same challenges over Brexit that their predecessor, Theresa May, has done, including lacking a majority in Parliament and divisions over Brexit within the Conservative Party itself. But it's not just mainstream political parties that have become fractured over Brexit, it's also the country, which means a major task ahead for Britain's next Prime Minister will be to try to bring the country together. Here's Daniel Zeelander from the Centre for Policy Studies again. There have been divides. What the new Prime Minister will be looking to do is reunite the people. Um, the way to reunite people is by delivering. 
delivering policies and actually showing to the people that they can trust politicians, they can trust um, the Conservative Party, that they can actually trust Westminster to do what they have been elected to do. And so, beyond Brexit, a new UK government has a great deal of work to do at home. Claire McNeil is the Associate Director for Work and Welfare State at the Institute for Public Policy Research. She says policies and spending will be key to a new Prime Minister's success. We have had 10 years of austerity in this country. It's the longest pause in um, real-term spending on record. And public spending in this country has fallen from around 47% to 40%. So that's a, a huge change that we've seen in terms of public services in the UK. And so for the next PM, that means two things. It really means that they have to deal with the demands that the public are making in terms of you know, better public services and also potentially some tricky conversations around the cabinet table in terms of vying for extra spending commitments for different public departments. Healthcare and education are likely to be high on the agenda and with Brexit having taken up so much parliamentary time, there's now a backlog of legislation that needs to be passed before any serious social reform can take place in Britain. So, whether it's Prime Minister Hunt or Prime Minister Johnson, whoever is chosen to be the UK's Conservative Party leader and Prime Minister, it's not just Brexit they'll need to attend to, but a whole host of social and economic issues. For CRI in London, I'm Natalie Powell. South African President Cyril Ramaphosa issuing a new pledge to speed up economic reform, saying concrete steps are going to be taken to get that country's sluggish economy back on track. We get more from our correspondent, Gao Jenya. In his first State of the Nation address after winning the parliamentary election on May the 8th, South African President Cyril Ramaphosa says economic recovery is the major task of the new administration. We cannot turn our fortunes around without a relentless focus on economic growth. Within the next decade, it is our ambition that our economy should be growing at a far greater rate than our population growth, as I said. It is only when we reach consistently high rates of economic growth that we will be able to reverse the economic damage of our past. Ramaphosa admits the economic prospects this year are not that positive. We make this assertion at a time when the economic outlook is extremely weak. Now, following the sharp contraction in growth in the first quarter, the Reserve Bank now projects that growth in 2019 is likely to be lower than anticipated in the February budget. As such, Ramaphosa suggests the economic focus is going to be on stabilizing South Africa's corn economic generators, including agriculture, mining and tourism. To meet our growth targets, we will rebuild the foundations of our economy by revitalizing and expanding the productive sectors of our economy. This requires us to reimagine our industrial strategy to unleash private investment, and energize the state to boost economic inclusion. It requires the state to effectively play its role as an enabler that provides infrastructure, that provides basic services. We will give priority attention to the economic sectors that have the greatest potential for growth. 
Ramaphosa has also laid out economic targets for the next 10 years, including creating two million jobs for young people, as well as halving the violent crime in the country. The three-hour speech has met with significant applause. However, the opposition remains wary of Ramaphosa's grand ambition. Musi Maimane, leader of South Africa's largest opposition party, the Democratic Alliance, says he's quite disappointed with Ramaphosa's speech. But really, no tangible plans. There was no tangible plan on rural safety. No tangible plan on what are we going to do at ESCOM. More rhetoric coming from the president. The deep disappointment with the speech today was the fact that it was all based on a dream, but really no tangible plans as to how we get us in the next five years. South Africa's economy declined by 3.2 percent in the first quarter of this year. The unemployment rate now stands at 27 percent, the highest in 15 years. For CRI, I'm Gao Junya. Chinese rail firm CRRC Tongshan establishing a research center in the city of Turin, Italy, designed to work on advancing modern rail technology. We get more from CRI's Xiaoyi. The research center aims to further promote technical cooperation between China and Italy in the field of rail transportation, and to provide transportation solutions for Europe with countries along the Belt and Road. Wang Jun is the vice president of CRRC. CRRC has been building a technological innovation system that is opening up to the world. We have established research centers in the United States, Germany, Britain, Sweden, and Turkey. Turin is known as the city of motor vehicles. It is the third largest city in Italy and one of its biggest industrial regions. The new research center will deepen cooperation between China and Italy, and I believe it will lead to fruitful outcomes. The firm Blue Engineering, which is controlled by CRRC, will be the main technology provider for the center. Founded in 1993, Blue Engineering is the only engineering design company in the European Railway Union. It has undertaken 24 research projects in Europe. Alberto Cerio is the president of Italy's Piedmont region. He said that the center is a good example of enterprises from China and Italy working together. What China taught us is that we should face global challenges while preserving our valuable traditions and culture. I want Chinese investors to know that they will gain the support of the Piedmont and Turin governments. Our precious cooperation has proved that this model is reliable at boosting local economic and employment growth. The research center will also cooperate with local universities and research institutions. Guido Saracco is the president of Polytechnic University of Turin, a well-known science and engineering institution in Europe. Saracco hopes that China and Italy can work together to provide creative and technical services for countries along the Belt and Road. By cooperating with CRRC, Italian engineering companies now have the chance to participate in railway construction in Asia. And in countries along the Belt and Road, this is an important opportunity for Italy. It's an honor for our university to provide technical support for these projects. The Belt and Road Initiative, proposed by China in 2013, aims at building a trade and infrastructure network connecting Asia with Europe and Africa along the ancient Silk Road trade routes to seek common development and prosperity. For CRI, I'm Xiaoyi.
The Indian government establishing a new ministry to deal with water issues in that country. The new Ministry of Water Power to be tasked with tackling water conservation and management. Its creation comes as newly released satellite images show reduced water levels in a reservoir in Chennai before and during the current drought. Pictures of the Puzal Reservoir showing diminishing water reserves when two images taken about 10 months apart showing a major problem with the lack of monsoon uh, monsoon rains rather in that region still to come in business new stat showing china becoming the world's second largest bond market sports china now practicing for a tuesday matchup against italy at the women's world football cup entertainment chinese folk music to be featured at a show in la it's paul james with you stay with us here on the beijing hour Want to know what's trending in China? China Plus News Facebook page helps you to discover the real China. From the latest news to quirky Chinese inventions, videos, photos, live streaming, and more. Join in the conversation today by searching for China Plus News on Facebook and discover its news, its people, its traditions, and culture. China Plus News Facebook page. Open your eyes to the real China. Examining the events that impact and shape China and the rest of the world. This is the Beijing Hour, one hour of news and information brought to you by China Radio International. Paul James with you on this Friday morning, still to come here on the Beijing Hour. New figures showing that China, now the world's second largest bond market. And sports, Tuesday matchup expected between Italy and China. The Women's World Cup and an entertainment. We'll be telling you about a Chinese folk music show to be put on in Los Angeles. Uh, just a reminder, a few ways to keep in contact with us here on the Beijing Hour. If you follow us on, uh, or if you want to follow us, I should say, on either Twitter and or Facebook. Uh, if you use either of those social media sites, all you need to do is go into the search bar on either Twitter and or Facebook and type in uh, China Plus News and you will find us that way. You'll want to download our China Plus app as well and visit chinaplus.cri.cn. We'll give you all the latest news and information from China Radio International. And if you want to get a hold of us directly, send us an email, beijinghour at cri.com.cn. Now your headline news. The top leaders of China and North Korea agreeing to create a new future of inter-party and interstate relations, as well as a new starting point in history. Meeting in Pyongyang, to also reaffirming a commitment to a political settlement of the nuclear issue on the Korean Peninsula. Talks part of Chinese President Xi Jinping's ongoing state visit to North Korea, the fifth meeting between the two heads of state since last year. China's Commerce Ministry announcing that the Chinese and U.S. trade negotiators are expected to resume communications. Comes ahead of an expected meeting between Xi Jinping and Donald Trump at the G20 summit next week in Japan. Two presidents both expressing a willingness to meet on the sidelines of the summit in Osaka as part of a telephone conversation that the two had a couple of days ago. Russian President Vladimir Putin saying that he's open for a meeting with U.S. President Donald Trump. Russian leader making the revelation while taking part in one of his trademark live call-in shows on Russian television. Putin also using the call-in show to warn the United States about the possibility of an armed conflict with Iran, saying that it could trigger a catastrophe. Trump saying publicly that he'd like to meet with Putin on the sidelines of next week's G20 summit. However, the Kremlin saying that the White House has not yet formally requested that meeting. 
European Union listing its priorities for the coming five years in a new strategic agenda. According to it, the bloc's major efforts through 2024 to be uh, will be rather to protect citizens and freedoms as well as develop a stronger economic base. Priorities also to include building a green, fair, and social Europe while attempting to promote Europe's influence worldwide. Agenda being released as part of the ongoing summer gathering of European leaders in Brussels. Another major task at that session to name the new president of the European Commission, which is the administrative arm of the Union. Coming up to 34 minutes past the hour, it's time to check in with what's happening in the world of business. Uh, we'll start you off with closing numbers, of course, in North America and in Europe. Uh, U.S. markets making some significant gains on Thursday, uh, with the S&P 500 in particular hitting a record high. Now, the 10-year U.S. Treasury note yield dipping below 2%, while the dollar weakening and gold prices soaring to near six-year highs through Thursday's trading. Uh, oil up 5.4% as well, an extra boost from news that, of course, Iran shot down that U.S. military drone, raising the concern about a military confrontation between Tehran and Washington. Uh, other news, shares of Slack Technologies, fast-growing workplace messaging and communication platform, up 48.5% in its trading debut. Uh, Oracle shares, meantime, up 8.2% after that company forecast current quarter profits, which uh, are above earlier estimates. And out at the Dow, <coughs> at the bell, right, I should say, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, uh, gaining 0.9%, S&P 500 up 1% for, uh, in total, uh, the NASDAQ with a solid session as well up 0.8%. European uh, markets surging to six-week highs on Thursday. Investors have been uh, piling into riskier assets as they digest some dovish signals from the Bank of England and Federal Reserve, as well as uh, banking on optimism about the resumption of U.S.-China trade talks. Uh, Bank of England officials voicing uh, a unanimous support to hold interest rates steady, despite recent suggestions from policymakers that borrowing costs should, in fact, be going up. BOE cutting its economic growth forecast for Britain to zero through the second quarter, heading off any market fears that it could actually deliver a hike anytime soon. Now, at the closing bell, the FTSE 100 in London, as well as Germany's DAX, both gaining 0.4%. The CAC 40 in Paris up 0.3% on the day. Now, here in China, the National Development and Reform Commission releasing new analysis suggesting that the CPI unlikely to rise above 3% year-on-year this year. Now, last month, China's consumer price index rising to its highest level in 15 months, with CPI climbing 2.7% from a year earlier, exceeding the 2% threshold for three straight months. Food prices, uh, the major thing on this one, uh, significant increases this past month. Fruit prices up 27% year-on-year. Pork prices uh, jumping 18%, fairly significant. Uh, NDRC officials saying that they anticipate <coughs> prices of vegetables and fruits expected to stabilize, though, due to increasing supplies on the market. However, they do say that hog prices will continue to shoot up for the next while. This is mainly due to the African swine fever, but officials suggesting that while the price of the animals themselves uh, it may go up, uh, the this should not in, uh, increase the retail price of pork too much. Uh, the NDRC analysis suggesting that the CPI expected to peak this month, then fall over the next few months, followed by a possible rebound toward the end of the year. <clears throat> Costco, the world's uh, second largest retailer after Walmart, said to open up its first brick and mortar store here in China. Uh, that'll take place in Shanghai this coming August. 
Now, like its outlets around the world, uh, Costco store to include memberships for families and corporate consumers, uh, fees priced at 300 yuan per membership. Uh, Costco currently boasting the world's highest membership renewal rate at around 90% through this past year, uh, in the United States and in Canada. Uh, for more on Costco's foray into brick and mortar, uh, we're on the line now with Doug Young, company news chief with the English edition of Saishin. Dougie, good morning to you, my friend. Uh, let's talk, uh, Costco. It's, it's kind of interesting that they They've been playing here in China for a while. It's not really a known, well-known entity. Like, I mean, they've been doing it online here in China for for a number of years now. But then now they're moving into like the physical stores. What's what's the rationale here? I mean, is this just because of the trend toward people or companies wanting brick and mortar operations, or what what do you think the the whole goal is here? Yeah, well, first, welcome back, Paul. Thank you, brother. I uh, heard you on the morning show for a while. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, it's probably, you know, they've been doing the online thing, like you said, for maybe three, four years in China now, maybe even longer, four or five years. Uh, and, and they've been talking about opening a real-world store for a while. Uh, these things do very well, I think, in the, in the U.S., which is where Costco is based. And I know they have at least one in Taiwan. I don't know if they have others in Asia, but um, I think they, they they do really well. You know, and you look at sort of Alibaba, how they're talking about sort of the what do they call it, like the new retail, where it's a mix of online and offline. I mean, these Costco's really. I don't know if you've been to any in in Canada or the states, but uh, they're they're sort of like almost like a destination. You know, people really like to go there for a you know for a few hours and sort of walk the aisles and see this stuff. You know, it's, it's a whole sort of shopping experience, even though, you know, on the surface, it just seems like you're just going to buy groceries, but it's more than just, you know, stopping down to your corner grocery store. Yeah. Well, they sell all sorts of weird things and stuff. Yeah, it's it's weird, though, because, I mean, when you think, I think about it in North America, I mean, you walk into a Costco and you end up, you end up walking out with about 700 pounds worth of groceries at a 40-pound you know jar of pickles that you'll never make it through. I mean, is, <laughs> yes. is, is it going to be like the same thing here? And I mean, I mean, is is that something that the, that that a Chinese consumer would want? I mean, uh, you know, storing up, you know, oh. 300 days worth of food in your pantry? You know, I, I think it's it's, you buy the stuff, you, you laugh about, you know, having too many pickles, but then you go back and you do it again, you know, I, I don't, mm. <laughs> and I'm, I'm the same way, you know, you, you don't uh, seem to learn your lesson, and the Chinese are, are bargain hunters like everyone else, you know, probably even more so when you look at the kinds of activities you see on Taobao, just people love a bargain, and sure. like I said, when I lived in uh, Taiwan, I remember uh, people would, like, make an entire like day trip, schedule it around a trip to Costco, and, and they would take their friends, and it sort of became this almost like a social thing, which is sort of weird because in the in the U.S. it's not quite like that. But people do, you know, schedule mm. big blocks of time around, and I think they just like to go and look around and and see what's there. You know, people often end up buying non-grocery items as well. You know, like, yeah, it sounds like sounds like a fever dream for me, but uh, at any rate, we'll see how it plays out in the wash. Thanks a lot for that, Doug. We'll have to leave it there. Doug Young, company news chief with the English edition of Tsai Shin.
Well, new figures showing that China becoming the world's second largest bond market, with offshore investors purchasing Chinese bonds worth some 77 billion yuan through May, adding to their bond holdings for six straight months. Official data showing that the bond balance of offshore investors now stands at 1.6 trillion yuan as of the end of last month. Analysts saying that foreign institutions showing a growing appetite for Chinese government bonds since 2017. Uh, foreign investors have been increasing their bond holdings by 30 to 50 billion uh, yuan on average monthly since last year. Senior economist Zhang Shengju says the uh, Chinese bond market expected to become even more popular among investors. At the beginning of this year, China was the third largest bond market in the world following Japan and the United States. Now we became the world's second largest bond market after surpassing Japan, only after the US. We are keeping our door wide open and all the market players have made positive efforts. So I think it is the main reason for a large quantity of renminbi bonds recently held by foreign investors. Uh, Bloomberg's uh, Barclays Global Aggregate Index adding uh, the Chinese yuan-denominated bonds to its listings uh, back in April. Zhejiang uh, Chenjiang uh, Motorcycle adding in a new partner, uh, getting into a new partnership, I should say, with U.S. motorcycle maker Harley Davidson to launch a smaller motorcycle here in China by the end of next year. Statement saying that they're planning to co-develop a premium 338cc Harley Davidson bike for the Chinese market. New bike uh, and its engine to be fa- manufactured at Chenjiang's factory based in the city of Wenling. Uh, now, founded back in '85, uh, Zhejiang Chenjiang Motorcycle is. Subsidiary of Geely, uh, in 2005, it acquired Benelli, an Italian motorcycle manufacturing company that has around a 100-year history. Now, since Harley-Davidson announced its plans to focus more globally in July of last year, the company continuing to expand its dealership uh, network here in China. Last year, Harley-Davidson seeing its retail sales in China up 27% from that of 2017. You're listening to the Beijing Hour, 60 minutes of comprehensive news. Your window on China and the world. Coming up to 43 minutes past the hour, it's time to check in with what's happening in the world of sports. On the desk with me, Yang Guang. Thank you, Paul. At the Women's World Cup, the United States continues its impressive start to the score's title defense, dying rival Sweden 2-0 to top Group F. Both sides were already assured of their places in the last 16. However, the, with the victory, Team USA finished the t- round robin with 18 goals and now against. They will next face Group B runner-up Spain, while Sweden meets Canada on Monday. Chile missed out on a Women's World Cup last 16 spot despite the 2-0 win over Thailand. Chile needed a three-goal win to advance but could not find the net for the third time. In other action, Cameroon dramatically beat New Zealand 2-1 to reach the last 16 as the best third-place team. Although Cameroon finished on three points, the same as Nigeria from Group A, they went through, having scored just a single goal more than their African counterparts. The Netherlands finished the top of Group E with a perfect record after a 2-1 victory over Canada, who finished in second place. Team China is set to meet Italy in the round of 16 of the Women's World Cup following the group stage competition. China is now training ahead of next week's match. Midfielder Zhang Rei says they feel confident about their prospects heading to the game. I think the European women's football has been improved a lot over the past couple of years. We will be all right to face Italy. 
It is a match in the knockout stage, so we need to give everything we can and try to beat them. Chinese striker Wang Shanshan was not involved in Thursday's training session after twisting her ankle in the last game against Spain. Her status for next week remains unclear at this point. Italy comes into the knockout stage after topping their group in round robin. China, on the other hand, only secured their spot in the last 16 as one of the best third-place teams in the group stage. The China-Italy clash will take place this coming Tuesday. In the Copa America, Argentina has been forced to settle for a one-all draw against the Paraguay in their second group game. It means Lionel Messi's squad is still lost in Group B and faces the possibility of an early elimination in the South American competition. Coach Lionel Scaloni says his squad needs to be better. To be honest, the first half was not good. We played like desperate for moments. We could not control the game, and we could not play depth. And they scored their goal in their first chance. That creates within the team some doubts. The best thing that happened to us it was the end of the first half to modify a few things. I think in the second half, even if we played better, we conceded some counterattacks that we should have avoided. Colombia leads Group B with six points and is already through to knockout stage. Argentina must win against guest team Qatar to qualify for the last eight. Today's Copa action sees Uruguay takes on another guest team, Japan, in Group C. The game is now well underway. Italian club Juventus has introduced new head coach Maurizio Sarri to the media. Sarri joins Juventus on a new three-year contract. The former Chelsea manager says he understands he will need to adjust his coaching methods with his new club. We'll see. Every team is like a child. If you raise three sons in the same manner, they won't turn out with the same mental characteristics. So let's see what we can do with this team. We knew more would be close to impossible. Let's hope we continue to win, and let's hope we do it while having fun and making others have fun. Sarri succeeded Massimiliano Allegri, who guided Juventus to five straight Italian titles, but was unable to bring home the Champions League. Sarri reportedly has a massive bonus in his contract if he leads Juventus to the elusive European title. In volleyball, the Chinese women's national team has taken the Nations League Ningbo series with a comfortable three to nothing victory over Serbia. The other match had Germany thrashing Bulgaria three to nothing. Bulgaria has now been relegated from the Nations League, managing only two wins from 15 games this season. After five weeks of competition, the six teams attending the Nations League final are all set. Brazil, Italy, the USA, Turkey, and Poland will feature in the tournament final next month in Nanjing, along with host China. In tennis, former world number one Andy Murray has enjoyed a winning return in his first match since a hip operation in January. He teamed up with Spain's Valenciano Lopez for an impressive doubles victory at the Queens Club over Colombian topsies Robert Farah and Juan Sebastian Cabal. Yeah, I mean it was brilliant to just be on the court, pain-free, and yeah, and enjoying playing. We had a we had a great match today. Really nice atmosphere, and yeah, most important thing was that well for me anyways that I was back on the court, healthy, no pain, and in my hip. And I didn't really think about it much when when I was out there on quite a kind of slippy grass court. So. I,、um, I was happy about that. Thirty-two-year-old Murray appears headed towards a comeback after seemingly set for retirement due to his nagging hip injury. 
In men's single section, top seed Roger Federer moved a step closer to his tenth Hala Open title with a hard-fought 7-6-4-6-7-5 victory over Zhao Belfried Tsonga. Alexander Zvikov also claimed a place in the last eight with a straight sets victory over American Steve Johnson. On the women's side, top seed Naomi Osaka has been knocked out of the Nature Valley Classic in Birmingham, England, going down to Yulia Pusintseva 6-2-6-3. The 21-year-old's vote number one spot is on the line. French Open champion Ashley Barty can overtake Osaka if she wins the title in Birmingham. She's already made it into the last eight following a straight set win over Jennifer Brady. Chinese competitor Wang Chan has been knocked out of the tournament, beaten by Venus Williams 6-3-6-2. In Formula One, this week's stop is in France. Heading to the French Grand Prix, Mercedes still has a big lead over Ferrari heading to the middle of the season. Defending world champion Lewis Hamilton is 62 points ahead of Sebastian Vettel, who has only managed two second-place finishes of the seven races so far this season. Hamilton has won five of them, including the last three. Meantime, this weekend we'll see Red Bull driver Pierre Gasly compete on his home track in France. I think we are pretty lucky because we didn't have the French Grand Prix for many years.、Um, just came back in the calendar last year, as I started the, my first full season in F1. So no, I just、uh, feel pretty lucky to have this chance to have a home race, and with the crowd, I think France has been has been always part of、uh, of the sport. So、uh, it's great to to have it back, and、uh, yeah, just、uh, really excited for for the weekend. The French Grand Prix returned to the Formula One calendar last year after a 10-year absence. The 2019 NBA draft is now well underway in Brooklyn. The New Orleans Pelicans are expected to select Zion Williamson with their first overall pick. Duke star Williamson is being dubbed by some as the next LeBron James. Apart from the first pick, the Pelicans have also finished a deal just ahead of the draft to send their number four overall pick to Atlanta Hawks in exchange for three more picks, including two first-round choices. The Memphis Grizzlies and New York Knicks have the number two and number three picks, respectively. Everything in focus, all in one place. China Plus focuses on the Middle Kingdom, bringing you breaking news and the stories that matter to you. Search for China Plus in the App Store or Google Play. Coming up to 51 minutes past the hour, it's time to check in with what's happening in the world of entertainment on this Friday morning.、A、Chinese folk music performance entitled "Enchanting China" to be staged at Hollywood's Dolby Theater in Los Angeles. Presented by the China Broadcasting Performing Arts Troupe, the performance featured diversified forms of traditional Chinese art such as orchestral music, Peking opera, and a violin concerto. Well-known Chinese musicians to join the performance, including violinist Liu Siqing, conductor Peng Jiapeng, and Peking opera, opera actress、uh, Zhang Xinyu.、Uh, L.A. the first stop of the Chinese troupe's U.S. tour that'll head up the coast、uh, after Los Angeles and put on performances in San Francisco and then up in Seattle. Free solo. 
The 2019 Oscar winner for Best Documentary has been approved for Chinese theaters. The documentary uh, profiling uh, rock climber Alex Hornell uh, on his quest to scale the uh, cliff of El Capitan without ropes or protective gear. Very freaky. Uh, the film being imported uh, by the China Film Group Corporation, Alibaba Pictures, uh, is going to be running the promotional campaign for Free Solo. Uh, it's not quite clear yet when that documentary film is going to be hitting uh, Chinese theaters uh, Chinese, a classic uh, opera Terenda uh, by the renowned uh, Italian composer Giacomo Puccini uh, being staged at the National Center for the Performing Arts uh, here in Beijing uh, Terenda uh, depicting a love story of course of the beautiful yet cold-hearted Chinese princess who falls in love with a Tartar prince uh, Terenda was the first Western opera uh, that the National Center for the Performing Arts launched after it was inaugurated uh, Kazakh film Guardian of the Light being screened at a, sh- a cinema in Shanghai. Now, this uh, film said to be one of the stronger contenders for the Golden Goblet Award, uh, which is uh, the top awards from the Shanghai International Film Festival, which is all still still getting going, still underway, I should say. Uh, the movie itself, kind of neat, uh, tells the story of a Soviet soldier who comes back from the Second World War uh, and is given a gift by a German uh, film projector, uh, as well as seven uh, old movies. Uh, he returns back to his native uh, Kazakhstan, uh, finding that everything's all changed. Uh, he chooses uh, to go deep into the mountains and play and narrate these films that he's gotten from this uh, German uh, to villagers who have never actually seen film before. Uh, producer Kenat Torbe saying that uh, the film is actually based on true stories from rural Kazakhstan. There are a lot of such projectionists in the Kazakhstan villages. Our scenes are filmed in real villages of our country. Most of our actors are non-professional. In fact, I can count all of our professional actors with just one hand. A lead actor, Muratzan Murkazanov, uh, one of the lead contenders for this year's Golden, Glo- Golden Goblet, I should say, uh, for Best Actor. A previously unheard and unreleased performance from late Queen frontman Freddie Mercury being released. This is kind of neat. Recorded back in 1986, Time Waits for No One is actually a collaboration with songwriter and producer Dave Clark. Uh, It's taken from the soundtrack of his musical Time. It's actually filmed at the Dominion Theatre in London. And the video of it uh, featuring uh, Freddie Mercury on his own, uh, on his... basically on his own on a stage uh, accompanied just with his piano so very neat for any uh, Queen fans and of course uh, Freddie Mercury fans uh, as well over to the uh, movie uh, side of things Peter Parker set to swing into action once again for a new Spider-Man sequel Far From Home Uh, this time around, Tom Holland's character joining forces with Nick Fury and new character Quentin Beck, otherwise known as Mysterio. In an adventure that sees them tackling elemental creatures wreaking havoc across Europe, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, starring as Mysterio. Uh, has an uncanny ability to read people uh, and their behavior. Is also highly intelligent and educated in many different sort of forms of formal education uh he is though what's so cool about him is he is super smart and it's not really his physical abilities that are his biggest strength directed by john watts spider-man far from home also starring uh, john favreau michael keaton and samuel l jackson it's set for release in uk theaters on july the 3rd 
Country music star Luke Bryan confirming that he's in contract negotiations one again, once again to return to American Idol. Uh, confirming his talks with the show's producers. Uh, Brian also saying that odds are fairly good uh, that uh, the other judges on American Idol, including Katy Perry and Lionel Richie, are going to be returning uh, for 2020. They've been uh, American Idol judges for the past couple of years while the show has been on ABC. Recapping your top story, Chinese President Xi Jinping meeting with Kim Jong-un as part of his current trip to North Korea. On behalf of the Beijing Hour staff, it's Paul James in Beijing, hoping you'll join us for our next edition of the Beijing Hour. Open a window to the world together.